Our scripture passage today comes from John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Hear God's holy and infallible word. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Now Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been had already been there a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. The grass withers and the flower fades. You may be seated. As we come to God's word, we need his help, so let's begin with a moment of prayer. Father, give us ears to hear your word today. Give us eyes to see Christ. Father, we need your spirit to illuminate your word to our hearts, that I may have its full work in our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're continuing in our series through John's Gospel. And then you'll notice there's a pattern happening chapter by chapter. Jesus seems to be going back and forth between Jerusalem and Galilee. And some of the Gospel writers have a very chronological way in which things are happening. We don't want to overly think about that as we read through John. And John's not so interested in giving us a play-by-play -play of how this all transpired, although there is certainly some progression. Remember, John is writing these things, he tells us at the end, so that we would believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, and that by believing in him, we would have life. And so John is giving us very intentional kind of building on who Christ is. And we have just had this dynamic in the last chapter of the woman at the well compared to the people in Galilee, and now we find Jesus back in Jerusalem again on the Sabbath. And we have three scenes that take place in this passage, and so we'll look at each of these scenes, give a little bit of background, some information, some thoughts about that, and then how it might apply to us. So this first scene, it's verses 1 through 9. They go up to Jerusalem. There's a feast happening. Jesus goes 
because everybody would have gone to Jerusalem for the feast. And there's this place, the Sheep Gate with a pool. And there's all of these invalid people there, blind and lame. And there's a man who's been there for 38 years seeking some sort of restoration. He's been unable to walk, to care for himself, even to drag himself to this pool for 38 years. And Jesus comes to this place and he sees that he's been there a long time. When somebody's been sitting there for a long time and is, is invalid like this, you can imagine they've made for themselves quite a nest of their goods and belongings. Jesus answers, asks them this very simple question, do you want to be healed? The sick man answers him that there's just nobody to put him into the pool when the water is stirred up. And so we have this weird interchange that we need some understanding. I talked about in previous sermons needing to put on our first century Jewish ears, which means we need to understand some of the context of what's going on here to fully understand what Jesus is doing. There was a superstition at this time that an angel would stir up this pool and that if you were to go in at just the right time when the angel was there, well, you may be healed. And so that's why all of these invalid people were hanging out there waiting for this superstitious healing to happen that they just might, if being in the right place at the right time, they might be healed. I'm not sure the origin of where this comes from, but it was one that many people had flocked to. There were many, a multitude of invalids there. But as we talked about last week, Jesus is giving his power through his word, and he speaks a word to him. Take up your bed. Get up. Take up your bed and walk. And at once the man is healed. And so what we have here is a man who is participating in a religion of superstition. He just wants something magical to happen. Maybe God will have mercy on me. God is impersonal. He's impredictable. He's stingy. This is actually a very unique healing that Christ does here. There is no response of faith from this man. It's not that the man comes to Jesus and knows who he is and is seeking his mercy. Instead, Jesus heals this man. He doesn't even tell him his name. Jesus commands him to do things that he's unable to do on his own, to get up, to take up his bed, and to walk. These are things this man hasn't been able to do his entire life. And yet this is the command from Jesus, but Jesus also provides the grace to enable him to fulfill his command by healing him. Jesus is undermining this religion of superstition, and he's providing for this man the thing that he can't do for himself. He's revealing to us what the Father is like. And it tees up for us scene number two, beginning at the end of verse 9. We're told that it's on the Sabbath that Jesus does these things. 
And the Jews, the religious leaders of the time, are very concerned about this man walking around with his bed. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. It is the Sabbath. Can you imagine a man who hasn't been able to walk in 38 years being told to not walk and not do the thing that the man who healed him to do? He answers them, the man who healed me. He told me to take up my bed and walk. Now the man didn't know who Jesus was. It's a profound reality of Christ coming to this man before he even knew his name. And yet Jesus seems to not want to make a scene for himself. But we're introduced to this idea of the Sabbath. It's really at the heart of this controversy that Jesus is going to have with the religious leaders of his day. And so we must ask the question for ourselves, why does the Sabbath matter? Why does the Sabbath matter? Well, the Sabbath is in almost every single way central to the history and identity of the people of Israel. It's rooted in God's creation, that he created all things in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and they collected manna twice as much in preparation for the Sabbath. And of course, it's told to us in the Ten Commandments in two places. And if we read these passages, one's from Deuteronomy chapter 5, the other's from Exodus chapter 20, it roots the Sabbath in these two places. Deuteronomy chapter 5 says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your sons or your daughters or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gate, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. The Sabbath is a reminder of God's redemption of his people who were slaves in Egypt, who have no idea or concept of rest. The whip of the slave driver would have never ceased, and now the Lord has delivered them from that bondage and given them the gift of rest. Exodus chapter 20 is the other place you can find the Ten Commandments, and there's a lot of similar words here, but it roots the Sabbath a little differently. It says this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so in this pronouncement of the Ten Commandments, it's rooted in the creation that the one who created all things has made this day unique and aimed towards him. It's holy, it's set apart, it's different. And as the people of Israel have existed, Receiving God's redemption, 
Sabbath has been central to their identity. It's the thing that is equated to being faithful to the covenant. It's central to worship. They met on the Sabbath to worship, to offer sacrifices. Maintaining the Sabbath was of the highest importance. In fact, when the Sabbath was kept incorrectly, they were often chastised by the prophets. And when they were exiled into foreign lands, they were unable to keep the Sabbath. And it was a great sorrow for the people. And even the idea of the Messiah coming has linked to it this idea of perfect Sabbath keeping. And so the goal of the religious leaders at this time was to help people keep the Sabbath perfectly because their thought was, if we can do this perfectly, the Lord will see how great we are doing and the Messiah will come. The rabbis had long lists of things that people shouldn't do on the Sabbath. Apparently one of those things is you shouldn't take up your bed and walk. We're told in this last scene, as these two things come together, that this is the reason why they were persecuting Jesus. Not that he was doing things that maybe were out of the box, but because he was doing them on the Sabbath. He's undermining their understanding of the Sabbath. And this isn't the only time Jesus does this. There's another scene in Luke's gospel where there's a man with a withered hand and it's the Sabbath and they, they sit there and they watch and they think, is he going to heal a man on the Sabbath? Jesus says, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to destroy it? He goes on to heal the man. Ironically, those men then go on to plot how to destroy Jesus. Jesus is walking through the grain fields in Matthew chapter 12, and they're eating some of the grain, and they're confronted by the religious leaders, and Jesus says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is continually railing against this idea of what was in place for Sabbath observance. And just as that first scene introduced to us a religion of superstition, and Jesus is undermining that false religion, here Jesus is undermining a different false religion, a false religion in which God must be appeased. There's this hard-grained culture that says we must do these things in order to plead, to please God and to be counted righteous. God is this angry, vengeful being, and we must do these things to be right in his eyes. Jesus is undermining their view of the Sabbath. So what is the correct view of the Sabbath? The Sabbath, as we have talked about, is a gift from God. It is to be kept in faith. It is part of the redemption of God's people. Not a burden for them to keep. It's faith that God can do more in six days than we can do without him in seven. 
It's rooted in the deliverance from slavery. It's resting in God's ongoing provision for us. We may be prone to think of the Sabbath as a time out, where we can't do anything. You're just supposed to sit here and think about God for 24 hours. It's kind of what's going on at the time when Jesus is here, interacting with the religious leaders, but that idea could not be any further from true Sabbath rest. Our sinful hearts are prone to see God's blessings as obligations. How many of us, as we went to bed last night, after staying up too late, said, I have to get up for church tomorrow? Ugh. Or after service, you think, why won't my parents stop talking? Why is this sermon keep going on and on and on? Can't I just go enjoy my day doing the things I want to do? These are all thoughts we have in our hearts, whether we want to admit them or not. And they're evidences of our inability to truly enter into God's rest. Now, we have a confession of faith at our church that perhaps has the highest standard of many other traditions. In fact, I can't think of a higher standard as it explains what the Sabbath ought to be like. It says this, The Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord, when men, after preparing of their hearts and ordering of their common affairs beforehand, do not only observe a holy rest all the day, from their own works, words, and thoughts about their worldly employments and recreation, but are also taken up the whole time in the public and private exercises of his worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy. The idea that we can have this full day of rest, fully taken up in the worship of God, not caring about our worldly recreations and work, having prepared the day before for this rest is unimaginable for us to do. Some strive to do it better than others. Some are able to have more success. And yet we can come to that idea of the Sabbath and have it be merely an obligation for us that this is how we will be seen as righteous, by doing what our confession says. This is an impossible standard for us to keep. And yet we shouldn't change the standard to meet what we're able to do. Because that's the whole point of what Jesus is doing here. The, the lame man who is unable to be healed because he cannot get up and get into the water? It's the same problem that the Jews have. They cannot keep the Sabbath perfectly. All of the lists of the rules and the things that they cannot do, they're in the same state. Spiritually dead, trying to appease God by their own works. Instead of resting entering into God's work, 
as Jesus ends this interchange, he says, my father is working until now, and I am working. It's kind of a scandalous thing to say that God is working on the Sabbath. At least it is in the mind of the religious leaders at the time. Jesus is the only one who can keep the Sabbath perfectly. He goes up for the feasts. We'll see him continue to do the things that would have been required in the law. But the Sabbath is about cultivating our heartfelt devotion to Christ. It's about rejoicing in an opportunity to gather with God's people for worship. To come to the one who made us rooted in the creation, to give us the day to commune with him who's forgiven us and adopted us as his children. The Sabbath is an anticipation that God's word will be proclaimed to us, that it will help us in our growth and our understanding of him, that it might cause us to love him more deeply. And it's a gift to us to be able to stop to stop from our works, even our good works, the good things that we do in our lives, and to rest in God's provision. I don't know if you feel busy this week, as Christmas is three days away, and maybe you've already begun traveling to see people that you love. We are in a frantic age. Everybody's always been in a frantic age. Israel was in a frantic age as they were called out of Egypt, and God calls us to rest into him in the midst of our busyness. To keep him as our ultimate goal and purpose, to be reminded of the redemption he has brought in our lives. What ought we to do on the Sabbath? What is Jesus undermining here about this Sabbath assumption? Well, our confession used these two terms, duties of necessity and mercy, worship, heartfelt devotion to God. See, it's not about doing nothing. It's about doing God's work Jesus is coming and he's showing us how the Father is at work even on the day of rest because it is his blessing. He is showing mercy to those in need, kindness to those who don't even know his name. He's bringing restoration on the Sabbath. Jesus is going to where the need is. He's going to the place where worship happens. Ultimately, the Sabbath is a reminder for us to stop trying to work our way to God, but instead to rest in the finished work of Christ. And it's not just on Sundays for us, but every day. You see, we are all like the invalid man. We're unable to even approach God on our own. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and Christ shows up even before we knew his name. And he gives us the ability to see his kingdom. The ability to get up and to walk. 
He heals our spiritual blindness. He gives us the only way to be accepted in God's sight. He commands us to do the things we cannot do, but then provides in his own life the standard that we fail to keep. A perfect life, toiled in sorrow and in pain. Ultimately, Christ taking upon himself the punishment for our failures. Our failures to keep the Sabbath. Our failures to love God in the way we ought to. Our failures to keep him as the ultimate thing in our lives. Rebelling against him at every twist and turn. Forgetting about his redemption. Forgetting about him being the creator. Forgetting about all of the good things he has given to us. Christ taking upon himself the punishment we deserve, dying on a cross on that frightful Friday and resting in the tomb that Sabbath day. And rising for the sake of us who have been called by his name, who belong to him, Christ draws us near to the Father, not through superstitious religion. That if we are in the right place at the right time, we might accidentally get some of God's grace. Nor does he call us to a never-ending cycle of appeasement of a God who is never satisfied. But through his final declaration on that cross, it is finished. Christ has done what we cannot do. And we must enter into his rest. Rest in what he has done. And as we rest in his provision for us, it enables us to receive his good gifts. To stop. To worship with true hearts. To be more and more conformed into his image. May we look to him. May we trust in him. May we rest in Christ. He is our true Sabbath. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for calling us into your presence each week. Help us to acknowledge the ways in which we do that through superstition and appeasement, and instead help us to rest as those who have been redeemed. Help us to rest in the redemption that Christ has bought for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.